Hey, all right, Rockbridge. My name is Matt, and just want to welcome you uh, to our services. However you're with us, you're at one of our six physical locations around the Tennessee Valley, northwest Georgia, or you're on some kind of device, in, hopefully not in your car, but you're watching maybe at home, on your smartphone, on your computer. However you're with us, we're glad, we're excited you're with us, because we're going to finish up a series that we began a couple of weeks ago called How To. But before we do that, I just want to remind everybody the greatest event in history. We're going to celebrate it next week, with which is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and all of our services as well as online. We'll have a special Good Friday service that is at 6.30 p.m. and uh, next Friday. So uh, just your campus information will be provided. It's on our website. So just want to remind you of that as we move forward. Now, we started this series a couple of weeks ago and, and it kind of came to us as we're thinking, man, if, if you were to explain to someone how how do you live as a Christ follower? And we have this thing at Rockbridge where we say, hey, being a Christian is the only way to die, but it's always also the best way to live. And if you had to explain to someone, how do you live as a Christ follower? What would we sort of put in the package here? What would we sort of in include in, in the how-to? right? And, and so we began building it out and building it out and building it out. And we're on part five today. Now, so this thing that we're going to talk about today, here's the crazy thing about this. We're, you're not, you're not going to need to know how to do this because you already do this. I do it. You do it. Atheists do it. Islamists do it. Uh, agnostics do it. Southerners do it. Democrats do it. Republicans do it. Everybody does it. And, 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 and so it's really not a how-to, it's just how to make sure you make the right choice of what you do when you do this. And, and so here it is. It's how do we worship? So you see, you, you know, you think about it and everybody you ever meet is a worshiper. You're a worshiper, I'm a worshiper. If you think about your language or in the language we hear, I mean, praise is sort of a universal language that, that human beings speak. I mean, we'll praise uh, our favorite movie and the actors and actresses in it. We'll praise our sports teams and the athletes that compete in it. We'll praise and say, man, what a great, beautiful, awesome day. We'll praise the weather. We Lovers praise each other. We praise our kids. We praise our heroes. We praise good news and good events because every Everybody is a worshiper. The only choice or question is who or what gets your worship. I mean, before worship is an activity, it's an identity. So let me just help make sure we're clear and give you a definition. This definition of worship comes from a guy named Josh Riley, and he says this, Worship is everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do that reveals that which we treasure and value most in life. And you bump up against this every now and then where you're like, man, what's really important to me? You ask that question as you kind of become a teenager and then you get out of the teenage years and move into independence. What's really important? You know, sometimes you hit it at a midlife crisis. Sometimes you hit it when you get bad news from the doctor or something's rough in your marriage and everything. You know, what, what's, what do I really value? What do I really treasure most in life? But here's something I know about all of us. We all treasure and value certain things, right? Because we're all worshipers. It's just who we are. It's like kind of wired into our being and wired into our nature. But, but at the same token, at the same token, 
you and I could swap stories over coffee or something about times in your life, moments in your life where you treasured something that later hurt you or you valued something that later got taken from you. And when that happened, what happened? Maybe you lost perspective. Maybe you got bitter. Maybe you got cynical. Maybe you got angry. And so the challenge for us in this how-to, how to worship is this. The challenge is to make sure that what matters most matters most to me. The challenge is to make sure what is most valuable, what is most prized matters most to me. And so we have a choice who and what gets our worship. It's one of the things God gave us. He gave us this choice and, and, and so this choice is ripe with consequence and blessing and pain at the same time. And, and so we have to decide, hey, am I, what matters most? Does it matter most to me? And so what we're going to do on this kind of what Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have called Holy Week or Passion Week, the last week before Jesus' death, is we're going to sort of watch worship and learn from worship, starting kind of with Palm Sunday and, and the events of that. And we're going to see just some things and some ingredients about worship, learn some things about ourselves, and see if we can make the right choice that what matters most matters most to us. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along with me on the screen. Open your Bible up, turn your Bible on. We'll be in Matthew chapter 21. We'll also pivot some to Luke. We get two accounts of the last week of Jesus's life, and we're going to kind of reference both of those. So in Matthew 25, we've got this, when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. So the disciples are journeying with Jesus into Jerusalem, where he will later be crucified and buried and then the resurrection will be witnessed to. Jesus then sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he, the owner, will send them at once. This, and Jesus is kind of acting like God, right? Because he is God. He's, he's predicting things that he has no, you know, that, how do you know that? How do you know he'll give them the donkey? Because he's God. So he's showing very clearly, at least to his disciples, who he is. But we see that he's got something more in mind than, than, than just this donkey. He's got in mind a fulfillment of a prophecy that was made back in the book, Old Testament book of Zechariah. It comes from Zechariah 9, chapter 9, verse 9. It says, this took place, what Jesus just said would take place, so that what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is identifying himself as king, the long-awaited promised son of David, descendant of David that would, descend, that would ascend upon the throne of Israel. So Jesus is disclosing who he is very clearly by his actions. Now, here's what's unique about this. Two things. Number one, if you're a Jewish person in the first century, there's been, you've been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for this king to appear. You've been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for this king to do something and to liberate and to reestablish the glory of Israel as it was during the king, kingdom of David. And the second thing that's, that's interesting here is all throughout the life of Jesus, he's consistently told people, don't reveal who I really am. 
It's not my time yet. And he would use things like that. He, he would tell demons not to say things. He would tell people that recognized him, hey, don't, say, don't tell anybody who I am. And here he is saying, now, I'm going to show everyone gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, big Jewish festival and celebration. I'm going to show them I'm the king they've been waiting on for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands and thousands of years. So self-disclosure of Jesus is going on. And then the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and her colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. And this is very, this, this laying of the clothes and the crowd does this, a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And this is all has very much language that would be akin to like a ticker tape parade after a team wins a championship, like what a lot of us watched the Braves come through downtown Atlanta and, and we knew what the tape and all that meant, the trophy and all the caravans, it's celebrating something. In the first century, when you laid clothes down on the street, it was a sign of, of, of acknowledging and pledging support and loyalty to the figure of the parade. So in this case, Jesus. The cutting of the palm branches is a sign of that victory and triumph has been given to the conquering king or the conquering military hero. So all that's in play here. And then they start speaking and they start saying something. The crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heaven. And, and we're quoting and drawing from the Old Testament, the Psalm, Psalm 118. So all that's coming into play. Something that's been predicted in Genesis 3 is coming to fruition in Jerusalem around 30, 33 A.D. And, and people begin to prize and value Jesus for who he is. People in the crowd begin to prize and value Jesus for who he is, which gives us the first ingredient of worship. It's the recognition of who God is as revealed in Jesus Christ. We're recognizing who God is as revealed in Jesus Christ. He's the long predicted, Genesis 3. He's the long predicted, the promised Messiah. He's the son of God, descendant of David. He's coming into the world. He's invading. He's coming as a king. He's coming as a ruler. Also, he'll come as a savior, and he'll come as a redeemer, and he'll come as a deliverer. All that's in play. We recognize who God is. First ingredient of worship. But not everybody's excited about this. Not everybody's ready to receive this. And, and nothing's new, right? There's debate after debate going on in our society all around you. And you might have this own debate going on inside of you. Like, who really? who is God really? Who is God to me? There's a lot of relativization around God. A lot of people defining God not as he's been revealed in Christ and as he's been revealed in creation and as he's been revealed in Scripture. We're redefining God of who we think he ought to be. So there's this debate that goes on, and we see this back then. Nothing's new. You, you know, our nature hasn't changed. And so in, in, in Luke's gospel, we hear this debate. Some of the Pharisees, the, the, the high-end the, the high Jewish leaders from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to quit worshiping you. I'll, I'll just say this as an aside. Satan always gets mad when God gets worshiped. 
Because the focus when God gets worshiped and Jesus gets recognized is not on sin, it's not on self, and it's not on a satanic deception. Satan always gets upset, and there's always a counter-reaction. So he says, teacher, tell them to be quiet. Now, the Pharisees are saying, tell them to be quiet because the Pharisees don't recognize who Jesus is. They recognize he's a teacher. They don't recognize he's son of God, son of David, long-awaited Messiah. They don't recognize any of that. And then Jesus responds, and he says, listen, I, I tell you something. If they are to keep silent, the stones would cry out. If they are to be quiet, then the stones will cry out, and, the sto and I will still be worshipped. So here, here's where we begin to see something, and we can relate. See, worship, worship can be wasted. It's a choice, and it can be wasted. The Pharisees are like, hey, you're wasting your time. This, Jesus isn't the right guy. Tell, him, tell these people, tell them to be quiet. So worship can be wasted, and we have a choice. And, and you know what I'm talking about. You've done something. You, know, like you put in time, energy, and money into something you valued. You got to the end of the road, and it didn't pay off. It didn't work out. And you're like, man, I wasted all that money. I wasted all that time. I wasted all that energy. So you get this, Right? So, so worship can be wasted, and, and this, is the pro, this, is the, this is the challenge of the human condition because here's what we know, okay? God is being worshiped in creation, says the heavens declare the glory of God. God, when he's seen correctly in Scripture, in Scripture he's being worshiped. When we get visions of heaven in Revelation, God is being worshiped. The only disputed area is in my heart and your heart. It's the only disputed. Because remember what I said, we have a choice. We have a choice and it's strategic. You're going to worship a who or what. You are. And, and so we see this battle, this debate about is Jesus the one we should be worshiping? But yet we see Jesus not silencing his disciples. We see Jesus asserting that even creation declares who he is. And so we learn this about God, that God wants our worship. God wants our worship. In fact, Jesus even talked to a, to a real sinful lady around a well one time, and here's what he said. He said, an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. So we're going to worship with the revelation of the Holy Spirit about the truth of who God is, and God wants such people. So, so we see that God has this desire for us to be worshipped, now, for us to worship him. Now, why does God want us to worship him? Is it because we add to God's value? No, we recognize his value. You and I can't add to God's worth. We can't add to God's value. We can recognize it and respond appropriately. Does God want to be worshipped because he deserves it? Well, yes. But I think, and the text we're about to read reveals this, I think the scripture reveals that God wants to be worshipped because he loves us. Hear me what I say. Hear me when I say that. I think God wants us to worship him because he loves us. So Jesus looks out at the crowd as he continues on in Jerusalem, and he has an emotion of love. Listen to what he says. So he keeps coming into the city, Palm Sunday, and he sees the city, Jerusalem, and he weeps for it. Why is he weeping for it? 
They're, they're applauding, they're celebrating, they're cheering. He weeps for it because here's what he says. If you knew this day, that would bring peace. And he's doing a play on words because Jerusalem means the city of peace. So he's like, the city of peace doesn't know peace. If you knew this day, what would bring peace? But it is now hidden from your eyes. You don't recognize for the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will cr- he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. They will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. See, he knows something. He knows something. He knows that a good percentage of the crowd that's yelling Hosanna and recognizing him for who he is, they want him to do something. And what they want him to do is to be a political Messiah who will defeat the Romans and and kick them out of the promised land and reestablish the literal government, political, military throne of David with Jesus as the the earthly king, so to speak. And Jesus did not come into Jerusalem to do that. He came into Jerusalem to die so that we could have peace with God and be restored into a right relationship with God. And so Jesus weeps because they don't recognize what God is doing and what God is doing in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So I said to you, why does God want to be worshipped? And I said he wanted to be worshipped because of his love, and he's loving. And here's why. Love by definition, whether you're a mom or a dad, whether you're a cousin or a brother, love by definition wants the best for people. I mean, you would say, hey, I want the best for my kids. I want the best for my spouse. I want the best for my church. I want the best for the people I love in my life. So here's the question, what's better than God? What matters most matters most to me. What's better than God? Now, now, if we're honest, some of us could say, well, right now, Matt, it feels like what I'm dealing with at work tomorrow <laughs> matters a lot, and God sort of seems in the distance. That's a great, I, I, if that's you, I appreciate your transparency. But if we really come down and have one of those moments and say, what really matters most and what's better than God? So what's, more to, what's to be treasured, prized, and valued more than God? What can God give you that's better than himself? Nothing. So if God gives us less than himself withholds himself, doesn't make a way to have peace between us sinners and him as the king of kings and lord of lords, then God's not loving because he's not giving us what's best. So when we say, why does God want to be worshipped? Why is worship such a big deal? Because it's us recognizing the greatest thing God can do is give us himself. Now, you got to weigh that. You got to weigh that. Now, here's what I mean, weigh that. Because we think the greatest thing God can do is make sure I'm not, I'm not single after 27. We think the greatest thing God can do is create peace overseas or create peace in my marriage or create, you know, get, create a world without disease. That's coming, but that's not the greatest thing God can do. 
The greatest thing God can do is give us himself because there's nothing greater. And so when Jesus sees inside the people's hearts, he weeps because they're missing the best. Have you ever wept over someone you love because they made a bad decision and they, they didn't get the best? Maybe, the best, maybe they missed out on education or they missed out on an opportunity and you're just sad for them because they didn't get it or they missed it. Jesus is sad for the city of peace because they don't realize he came to make peace with them so he could have a home, a temple in their hearts, in their lives. And so here's the second ingredient of worship. It's not only recognition of who God is, it's recognition of what God has done and what God promises to do in Christ. It's recognition of who God is as revealed in Christ. It's recognition of what God has done and promises to do in Christ. So this creates two issues of where worship malfunctions or where we're tempted to worship something less than God, right? When we don't worship God for who he is, we worship God for who I think he should be. And then secondly, we don't worship God for what he has done in Christ, in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We, we worship what I expect him to do. So isn't it true? Isn't it true when God doesn't do something you expect, you start doubting who God is? And then you have to confront, am I really worshiping the God of the Bible as revealed in Christ? And you have a crisis, and it's a crisis of worship. It's a crisis of worship, right? And, and there's people who get off the God train, not because God does anything contrary to Scripture. God just does something contrary to what you thought he should do God does something contrary to what you expected him to do. And, and there's a whole battle going on of who God really is. Does God really have the authority to tell us how to do our sex lives? Does God really have the authority? Does really God really want what's best for us in, in our money, in our marriages? Does God really, who is this God? And we can redefine God to make it more comfortable on us so we don't have to change or be transformed or worship him for who he really is. And so we'll all do that and go through that. But it comes down to if we're going to get worship right, we've got to get who he is right as revealed in Christ. And we've got to get a great understanding of what he's done for us in Christ in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That what matters most in the cosmos matters most to me in my heart of hearts. That's the challenge we face. Now, here's, the, here's what happens. If, if you read on through in the Gospel of Matthew, the crowds and how the crowd changes and evolves and what the crowd's doing is a big theme of Matthew. So here's what it breaks down to. There's two groups of people. There's the Pharisees in the crowd and then kind of everybody else, okay, or most everybody else, all right? Uh, I, so the Pharisees don't get who God is, so they don't worship him for who he is. And then, and then this crowd 
it thinks that what Jesus ought to do is overthrow Rome, create a political dynasty, a political messiahship, but he came to deal with issues of the heart, not issues of the politics. And, and, and so they get upset at Jesus when he starts kicking people out of the temple, when he curses a barren fig tree, and, and when he starts doing certain things. And so this crowd, or a lot of them in the crowd that were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, blessed who comes in the name of the Lord. Four or five days later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, because God, you did not do what I expected you to do. And they didn't worship God. And, and now we can point, we can get, you know, how did they miss it? But, but listen, how many church services have you sat in on Sunday, but essentially you lived as if Jesus was still dead on Monday? It's a challenge we have. It's a worship challenge. How many times did you say Jesus is Lord on Sunday and then got home, but he wasn't Lord around your dinner table or in your bedroom? What matters most in the cosmos matters most to me. And so it malfunctions around who God is and what God has done. It's a crisis. If you continue through this journey of Jesus, the last week of Jesus' life, we bump up against a lady who gets it right. So in Mark's gospel, we get this story. He's in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured it on his head, but some were expressing indignation to one another. Remember, Whenever Jesus is worshipped correctly, Satan doesn't like it. So we see that again here. So she pours this very expensive perfume, like very expensive, and she pours it on Jesus' head. And look what they say. They say, why has this perfume been wasted? Now, that's an interesting term, wasted. Something is wasted. If you pay too much for something more than it's worth, that's a waste. If you give someone something they don't deserve, you're like, man, they don't deserve that. That's a waste. How can anything be wasted if Jesus is the greatest? How can anything be wasted if Jesus, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are what matters most in the cosmos? Remember, our challenge is what matters most matters most to me. That's our challenge. So how can it be wasted? I mean, you've going to church is a waste of time. Reading the Bible is a waste of time. Man, I can be a lot happier if I don't give God a percentage of my income. Nothing's changed, just a few circumstances and details, right? And so these disciples who supposedly understand who Jesus is and what he's come to do, Get upset at this woman for spending, wasting this expensive jar of perfume. And they say, look, this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. It's, it's not practical. You're giving up time and money and energy and attention. It's a waste. Why do we have to go to church? It's a waste of time. Why do we have to say, it's just a waste. And then look, they begin to scold her because Satan does not like it when Jesus is recognized for who he is and what he's done. 
And then Jesus speaks up. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. How can anything be given to Jesus be a waste when he's the greatest? When he's what? Who matters most? And if who matters most matters most to me, how is it wasted? He says, look, you always have the poor with you. And you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you don't always have me sitting in your living room. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance, its future faith, for burial. It's proclaiming that Jesus is going to die for us so we can have peace with him, so we can be with him forever and prize him, value him, treasure him for who he is and what he's done and find great satisfaction in all of that. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel, that means good news, is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She hasn't wasted anything because she spent it on me. Right? Now, here's the beautiful thing about this. This whole text proves something, that worship is not a means to an end. Worship is the end. It's the purpose. We, we think, well, nothing practical happened today. Jesus is like, you worshiped me. You enjoyed me. You were satisfied with me and in me, who I am, what I've done, my gospel. You're satisfied with me. You know, at Rockbridge, we're talking a lot about worship and, and gospel-centered, Jesus-centered, Christ-centered worship. And, you know, I think as Americans, sometimes we, we leave church and we're like, man, I didn't get anything out of that. Oh, I don't know if I like that song. I wish he'd have preached something else. Man, if they just sung those two or three other songs, that would have been a good service. Who's it for? So we've decided at Rockbridge what a good worship service is, is when you walk out of here and you don't say, hey, Matt's a good or not so good pastor, preacher. Oh, I love that story he told. That was so funny. Oh, that song. Oh, that worship person. Man, they slayed that song. It was so awesome. Oh, I didn't really like that. But when you walk out of here and you say, man, I met Jesus today and I worshiped him for who he is and what he's done. That's what makes a good worship service. That's what makes a good quiet time. That's what makes a good day at work. That's what makes a good day at home when you worship. What matters most in the world and the cosmos matters most to us. And that's the third ingredient of worship. So we know who he is and what he's done. And then we rightly value, prize, treasure. Rightly valuing, prizing, treasuring who God is and what he's done in Christ. Rightly prizing him, rightly valuing him, rightly understanding him, and then that gets expressed. You know, it's funny. We have to tell people when we see a great movie, watch a great game on TV, experience something great. We have to tell people. If we experience the greatest reality in the cosmos, Jesus, and value and prize and treasure him, we have to express it. That's called praise. That can be called singing. That can be called obedience. That can be called giving of tithes and offerings. That can be called clapping. That can be called shouting. There's even dancing. All of those things are expressions of valuing, prizing, and treasuring who matters most. See, here's the beautiful thing. 
What makes the gospel, remember he talked about the gospel, his death in our place. What makes that good news? And and we can say heaven, we can say forgiveness, that's true. But really what makes it good news? Christ suffered for sins once for all. It's what this whole week in history and scripture is all about. The righteous Jesus for the unrighteous, me and you, that he might bring you to God. We get God because of Easter week. If God gave us anything less than himself, he would be unloving. We get God. We get to enjoy him, who he is, and for what he's done. We're satisfied with God. Now, in keeping with the trajectory of this series, we're going to give another acronym. So that's five acronyms. How to, right? Because we need help remembering how to. So how do we worship? I'm just going to take the word worth and talk through it. So how do I worship? How do I worship? Worth-ship, treasure, prizing, value. Who matters most in the cosmos? Who matters most in the universe? So the W stands for worshipers. This is just to remind me and you that whether you know it or not, act it or not, all of us are worshipers. It's our identity. And so the question is always, it's not am I worshiping, it's who or what am I worshiping? It's not am I worshiping, but who or what am I worshiping? And you can read the Bible and still be worshiping yourself, your job, your career. You can be in church and still be worshiping, you know, yourself or your past or, or, or that you're a victim of. You can still do any of those things. But, but just I got to be reminded, I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. Before I'm a pastor, before I'm, I'm a worshiper. The O stands for only one is worthy. Only one is worthy, and that, that, that is Jesus Christ. It's recognizing him and expressing worth to him. Now, there's competitors. There's competitors for his worth. And, and so kind of what, what it looks like is, you know, I've got my own little world, right? And, and so in this world, there's competition, right? Here's, here's the cross, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and there's competition, and, 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 and so only one is worthy, but there's all these competitors. And, and so the competitors tend to push Jesus to the margins, and, and we become forgetful, we become deceived, we become distracted. Now, even Christians who come to church, and the reason so many churches get all been out of shape about worship is because a lot of Christians worship their worship. They don't worship the God of worship, they worship their worship. Oh, that was a good service, Why? Because they sang the three songs I like and he preached my favorite passage. Who's the center of attention there? It's not Jesus, it's you. You don't worship God, you worship your preferences. Jesus said, those who worship me worship in spirit, overflow of affections and truth. The truth of what? Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So we got to remind ourselves only one is worthy. And then we got to remind ourselves that he deserves our praise and worship. He deserves it. Now, for, for me, this came to full fruition. We were over in Ethiopia, and we're going to the worship, the worship service on Sunday morning. And they don't have the technology that we have in this, in this room or if you're watching on your device. They don't, they don't have that technology. And it was during rehearsal. 
And the sound system's kind of going a little haywire, but the worship leader was singing. There's nobody else in the room except a couple of kids in the back praying, a couple people from our church, and we're just sitting there. And I was listening to this guy worship. I had no idea what he was saying, but I knew exactly what he was saying. You know what I mean? I had no idea what he was saying, singing in Amharic, but I knew exactly what he was saying. He was talking about who God is and what God has done. And I sat over to his, to his right, and for 15 minutes, I cried like a baby. And I was like, God, why am I crying? And it's like I got this small voice because he's giving me what I deserve. No crowd, no slick Western technology, just a guy pouring his heart out, worshiping his spirit and truth. Now, the R stands for this, recenter, refocus, remind. Because here's what happens, okay? We're being recentered, refocused, reminded, okay? But here's what happens. You leave here. Let's say you go eat. Waitress is a little slow. So we have a little creep here. Your world, <laughs> me, my world, Right? You know, you get up in the middle of the night and your husband left the toilet seat up and you fall in or something, right? And you're mad. You know, Jesus, Jesus is not as prominent now. Your world, right? My world, my toilet seat, right? I mean, you go to work, your boss snaps at you. Your world, right? You get some bad news. Maybe your quarterly report and your business wasn't as good as you thought. Doctor tells you something you didn't want to hear. Your world, right? So we have to do what? Daily, hourly, weekly, whatever it takes. Recenter, refocus, remind. That what matters most matters most to me. What matters most matters most to me. This is why repentance, repentance is when you recognize you're wrong, change your mind, change your direction. Repentance is worship. So a lot of people don't, oh, I don't want to, oh, they stepped on my toes, pastor. No, no, man, why are we talking about sin? Let's talk about Dr. Phil stuff. Let's talk about Oprah, right? That's Dr. Phil and Oprah, right? Repentance is saying, God, it became more about me and my stuff than you and who you are and what you've done. And God's honored and glorified and worshiped when you repent. See, some of you think you've got to run from God, clean up your act. No, you run to God and repent. That's worshiping God for who he is and what he's done because he invites sinners to come to him and receive who he is and what he's done. And then we go to truth, the T and the worth, right? Truth. We don't worship emotion. We don't worship feeling. We worship truth. You know, a lot of us think worship is feeling first. I just didn't feel it today you got to truth it before you feel it. You declare truth and then feelings catch up with your truth, right? That's why sometimes you got to read the same verse of Scripture over and over again. That's why a good quiet time is not 15 minutes long or 55 minutes long or 7 minutes long. A good quiet time is when the truth of who God is and what God's done hits your heart and your heart expresses love, joy, obedience, repentance, whatever from that truth. 
right? Truth is a declaration of recognition that where we recognize who God is and God is awesome. We recognize what God has done and that's amazing. And we recognize that what God says is absolutely true. And, and that truth then comes out of our heart as joy, as praise, as adoration, as thanksgiving, as confession and repentance, as commitment and obedience. We worship God in spirit and in truth. So that's to help us so that what matters most or who matters most matters most to us. Now, there's a great story. You know, we're 20 years old, and one of the songs that we used to sing a lot at Rockbridge is called The Heart of Worship. It's guy by a guy named Matt Redman, British, British worship leader. And uh, their pastor at this church in England felt like worship had gotten apathetic self-centered, and just grown cold. They weren't a worshiping church. So he did something very brave. I don't know if I have his courage. He, he kind of stopped all the technology, all the instrumentation, and they said, we're just going to sing with our voices because we've lost the heart of worship. And so Matt Redman goes home, and really, uh, as he tells it, it took him about one night or you know, just a couple hours in his office, and he writes this song, not thinking it would become this powerful song, and he writes this song that we know of today. It's called The Heart of Worship. And here's the lyrics. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I just want to invite your Holy Spirit just to bring recognition to our hearts this weekend. Recognition of who you are, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of David, long-awaited Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Gift of the Father, verified and validated by the Holy Spirit. I pray there's recognition, Jesus, of what you have done as the greatest news ever. You died for us instead of us. And on the third day, you rose in victory and invited us into your family and into your kingdom. Paid the price we couldn't pay. Took the penalty so we wouldn't have to, so we could receive the best. And that's you. I pray for that recognition. And then, God, may we all rightly value, try, treasure, and prize who you are. So that we, too, may come back to the heart of worship and say, and sing, and live that it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. In your name, we pray. Amen.